0: First bids being 20% over the guide price to now sort of looking down the barrel of all of these interest rate increases makes it difficult for us to take the next step with our family and finding our family home.
1: Hello and welcome to the Parenthood Pod. I'm your host, Leonia Kiddenor, and every week I will bring you conversations that aim to smash the stigma on struggles we face as parents. This segment is The Vault, where we ask you, our community, what is keeping you up at night your messages remain anonymous they stay in the vault to submit your confession click on the link in the show notes welcome to the show i'm with bryce holdaway the co-host of the property couch which is actually my very favorite Podcast in in the property scene. So uh where Ben and Bryce talk all things property, property advisory, and really give us a heads up as to what to expect in the market and and some really good hot tips around property here in Australia. So, I mean, I feel like your spiel and all of the things that you've done, Bryce, we could be here for an hour. So <laughs> that is the that is certainly the number one thing. But you also are a partner at the at Empower Wealth, which advises on all things property. You're the co-host of Relocation Relocation Australia and Locational Location Australia on Foxtel. You are a qualified buyer's advocate, a financial planner, and now I feel like I need a (laughs) take a (laughs) break.
2: So welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thanks for the intro. I'm excited
0: to
1: chat with you. Yeah, awesome. So first of all, I want to cut straight to the call-in that we've had around our property query.
0: Hey, Leonie, really excited to be part of the pod. I think you guys have done a fantastic job in shining the light on some of the... uh, less glamorous aspects of being a parent and that's certainly been helpful for for me and my partner as first-time parents. The thing that really sort of keeps us up at night at the moment is um, you know we've just transitioned from being sort of early 30s, um, traveling the world, uh, focusing on careers, into being a family and it's been a, a really beautiful transition for us and you know, we, we love our daughter Luna to the bits. Um, she's 20 months old at this point in time. Um, we've obviously gone through that whole experience of of having her and, and um, Ali being pregnant during COVID. Um, and we were also living interstate and away from our family, so that was quite an isolating experience for us. Um, and we've recently just moved back to Melbourne, and I guess the thing that really... Uh, is missing from our lives a little bit now is is being able to kind of set up a future for ourselves and a big part of that is is owning a home and having a place to call home Um, it's just been a really topsy-turvy few years for the for the housing market and it's it's I guess getting (laughs) even more confusing now Um, we came pretty close to to buying a place um, the end of last year and the housing market just kind of got away from us. We were going to online auctions with, you know, 30-plus people registered who were looking to buy and, you know, the first bids being 20% over the, the guide price to, to now sort of looking down the barrel of all of these interest rate increases. Um, so that's that's the thing that makes it difficult for us to kind of take the next step with our family and finding our family home and, and starting to... Uh, to build that life for us back in Melbourne.
1: Okay, Bryce. So firstly, I mean, I think this is such a real stress for us parents. I mean, it's it's one of those ones where you step into a phase of your life. A lot of our listeners are parents with young children, so typically sort of under the age of five. You've gone from footloose and fancy free, where are we going out for dinner tonight, and then next minute you're dealing with childcare costs and all these, you know, huggies, nappies have gone up in price and all of these things that all of these additional expenses we've never had to have, as well as a feeling as though we need to move into a new house and have bigger more space etc cetera, etc cetera. so it is a real stress for for young parents and I guess first and foremost I mean I know you've got children so you could probably speak to this as well I mean what was your experience for, even just anecdotally um during that phase of your
2: life um torture <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I say that because um at the time when my um uh, when my firstborn Jack who's now 11 was born um I was still traveling and doing the show and um, so we were navigating. We navigated pregnancy with me being away, um, which wasn't amazing for my wife, I must admit. And um, and then um, understanding how um, you, you know the the, the challenges that um, that children like the wonderful joys, but also the challenges that we're learning on the run um, whilst I um, whilst I was travelling. So I it was it was an interesting time. Um, we've now got two. Our second uh, came 21 months later. Uh, Samuel so we had uh, that uh, two young ones um, so you know all credit to my wife who juggled um, two young boys whilst I was uh, filming but I did get the luxury of being able to um, spend some time with Jack when he was first born I wasn't committed in the business I wasn't filming um, it was only during the pregnancy in the early part of his birth that um, that I was finishing off the season so I got i got some really great time to spend with him um, but I do understand the stresses and the juggle that is um, modern day living with, um, you know, careers, families, um, everything that we got to juggle. So, props um, to you for um, for putting out some really great content to help people. Because um, wasn't a lot around when I was uh, looking, Leonie. <laughs> yes. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. And so, I mean, you've been there, as I said, you get it. I mean, I actually want to bring my own story to the table. Um, Obviously, this caller has had a bit of a ex- uh, negative experience, a little bit of anxiety around the property market, missing out on things. I mean, I was there six months ago. The pr- market was on heat. Um, I actually live in inner-city Melbourne, so I'm in South Yarra. We were looking in the surrounding areas for a little bit more land. I know that if I want to stay nearby, it's not going to be a huge lot, but just something where we have more than a courtyard right at the moment we have a courtyard um for the kids to play in and um, so anyway found the perfect home uh, was all excited went to three inspections got the whole family there I was like this is my house I'm very competitive so I was like this is mine I'd worded up the agents I was like yep I'm I'm like we're quite keen I'm actually in the property game as well my dad's a builder so he came you know checked it all out happy days I was locked in so then we made an offer uh, a week after the property had come to the market uh made our offer and it was at the top end of the Range. I'm like, let's just get this done. I'm not stuffing around. The agent said, look, that's a very strong offer. However, we have to hold an auction in 24 hours' time and get everyone else who's interested to the party. And then you can just fight it out. I was like, great. How many other people are interested? He says, oh, there's only one other family. And I reckon you've got this. And I was like, okay. So 24 hours of, you know, thinking about it and all that. And where am I going to put my couch and all this stuff? Anyway, so we rock up to the auction. It is over Zoom during COVID. Um, I turn on the screen, the Zoom link, and there are 10 people staring screen staring back at me and I was like didn't he say there was only one other family and he even said if anyone else is interested out of courtesy I will let you know so I'm there looking at the screen and then like within 52 seconds my little offer had been blown out of the park and I had no heads up on it and I was distraught and so that's what we were dealing with particularly six months ago in what was happening here in Melbourne I actually ended up getting a buyer's advocate after that because I'm like I can't deal with this I don't have the time I don't have the emotional willpower (laughs) and I know obviously that's your area too so I want to explore that as well. But I think first and foremost, this is what we're dealing with often. Um, and it's so much more emotional, I feel, when you have children because you're starting to think about where they're going to live and where the next chapter of your life will be. So I don't know. But food, are, you know, what are your thoughts around how we can best kind of do our research up front and I felt I was quite well researched but you know set ourselves up for you know fewer failures when it comes to you know when you're ready to sort of make that big move and purchase the home. Yeah
2: good story there too for everyone to learn from because um uh, because clearly you burn some some money as well you get building inspections done you might get a solicitor to review it and they charge you so you can be burning cash if you don't get it right. So I think the best advice I could give to anyone who's listening to this, irrespective of whether you're a parent or not, is to just really understand the role of the real estate agent because uh, what you just experienced was something that happens every day of every week of every campaign right across the country because you've got a real estate agent who does not get paid um, uh, by the hour. They get paid by a result. and. What's super helpful to understand is that a real estate agent is in the profile game. So which means for them to eat tomorrow, they have to do a really good job today to attract as many other people to see what they do so that they can have a chance of having another job tomorrow. So when they say to you, um, you know, uh, real back what you said, Hey, there's only two other people. You're one. I reckon that's a strong, like they, these are, these are cliches that get dropped all the time. And, As a buyer's agent, that keeps us in business, but it doesn't help anyone who can't afford a buyer's agent or has experienced um, some of um, what you've experienced. So number one is, understand a real estate agent gets paid on results. Number two, their client is the vendor, not you. Now they might be friendly to you, they might see you as an important part of the transaction, but mark my words, they are generally not interested in the buyer, Um, They're not interested in your emotion. They're not interested in your experience through. It doesn't mean that they want the worst for you. It just means it's not their agenda. Their agenda is to get a really great result for their seller. And if they do get a great result for the seller, remember what their job is, is to try and get tomorrow's job so they can stand up on the top of the hill with their arms out going, look how great I did, Mr. and Mrs. Future Seller, um, because you uh, should employ me. And so... So that's number one. Number two is a real estate agent um, uh, uses mental weapons, right? They use scarcity, they use urgency, and they use competition through the fear of missing out. So the, the, the Zoom environment was a perfect environment to get that because they can say things to you and then you turn up and <laughs> there's 12 people, you go, what just happened, right? And so that's that's important to understand that they are trying, if you, if you think of it as an analogy of um, the fish swimming in a lake There's one big fish in that lake surrounded by a number of smaller fish. They want to use the smaller fish to get the big fish into position, right? And unfortunately, the smaller fish, we're talking about humans, um, and they use you to jockey for position to get their competition at the highest price. That's another thing. Mm. So therefore, what can you do? What can your listener do who who just uh, called in? Um, Well, I would make the sold tab on the real estate portals, realestate.com domain, whichever one you That needs to be your friend um, for a fair bit of time. You need to get a spreadsheet and you need to find a property that you like and put it at the top of the spreadsheet and then go to the sold tab and look for other properties that have sold, right? Nothing that's on the market now because you can't work out what the price guides mean. Some agents have a price guide that is bang on and other agents have a price guide that is designed to get us to land the big fish with the little fish, right? So it's important that we are fully informed because as soon as you understand value, someone puts a listing on you go, wow, I can see it's got a north-facing backyard. It's in an A street. That price guide they've got there is a work of fiction because I know that one sold last week. I know that one sold two weeks ago. I know I've been through this one yesterday. So you actually become a better expert in, in that little niche that you're looking at than often the real estate agent because they might have one at, 2 million they might have one at 700,000 they might have one at 1.3 but you are laser-like focused on your budget and what's happening so so there's my two biggest tips is to make sure that you understand that the real estate agent doesn't get paid by their time they get paid by results and what that actually means so therefore um, they, they have a reputation of being some of the least trustworthy people for a reason it doesn't mean they've got bad character it just means that they say things to get the best outcome for the client and two if you're fully informed, you're not going to fall for um, our price guides that aren't reflective. So there's a couple couple of easy wins that people can um, quickly get a better understanding so they don't, don't burn cash um, through the experience because it is emotional. You're 100% right.
1: And I think at the time, six months ago, there was a big um, aspect of FOMO. So I'd done my research. I knew what the market was doing. I was obsessed with one suburb only. So I really felt as though I was an expert. All of a sudden, though, there was FOMO. So it was, you know, what it sold for was not what it was worth. Um, I'm curious now because, I mean, I'm looking in the same suburb now and the prices have fallen, right? Not dramatically, but, you know, they've eased off to what I think is a much better better value prop. Proposition, um, which is fantastic. However, if I'm now looking at the sold, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, what happened four months ago is not really as relevant. I'm looking at the last kind of three weeks and maybe a little bit before that, you know. So it's a smaller pool of sold to look for. So, how do we best navigate the price, fair price sort of conversation in this market?
2: It's a bit of the same, right? But you've answered it quite well where you've got to get a narrower um, view of, of what sold you might need to go over need to talk to some agents. You need to build relationships with agents. Now is a good time to be building relationships with agents. Ask ask questions like, have you had any building inspections done, rather than why are they selling or are there any other offers and all the standards. You've got to ask creative ways of getting the agent to give you some intel um, without them realising what you're doing because they're doing that to you. you. You walk through and your kids, if your kids are a bit older, I say, go and have a quick look through and then the kids... Um, just around. They ask the kids questions to get some leading intel, right? So so that's the same thing with you. How, how many building inspections have been done? Um, what are the rules of engagement? If if you receive an offer, what does that look like? Some people say, great, highest and best by 5 o'clock tomorrow. Others will go, well, I'll present that to the vendor, and they might shop it around and they might ring up people and say, hey, listen, I've got an offer for 890 dollars um, can you beat it? And they go, yeah, have can do eight ninety five. And then they ring the next person and go, I got one for $8.95. Can you beat it? So you got to work out what the rules of engagement are. Um, narrow your field of comps, but but the process is still the same, and also reading sentiment in the market. But you're in where you're looking is one of the most highly desired parts yeah, of Australia. Of course, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the southeast suburbs of Melbourne is right up there with the North Shore of Sydney and the Eastern yeah. beaches in Sydney. Right, that's that's. I call um, if you for those people that are listening in and understand Melbourne um, geography, you've got um, Richmond Hawthorne Q. If you're looking at a map, you've got Richmond Hawthorne Q, and then if you could do a paintbrush stroke right through to the bay, just do that swirly paintbrush stroke, that's called the fertile crescent of Melbourne. And so competition is high, even though the um, uh, even though the demand, the sentiment in the market has dropped a little, doesn't necessarily equate to Prices dropping. All it means is instead of in the peaks, there was eight people or twelve people on a Zoom. Um, you might do that same auction now and only have three. But there's still three people. And they're still hungry for the property and they're still competing for it. So um, so mm-hmm. so I guess the principles remain the same. Understand what the real estate agent, their role in the transaction is not to be your friend and inform you best. And secondly, um arm yourself with some um with some comparable sales. Turn up at auctions. See what the auctioneer is like. Work out um, the price guide versus the actual selling price. Start to, to identify some trends. These are the things that you can't um, replace to, to not put yourself in a place where the agent has the position of strength. If you want the position of strength back, you've got to take that with some, um, with some, with some research. And that's why a buyer's agent, um, you used one, I am one. We've got a team of buyers agents uh, in our business that empower wealth because that that um, that stuff that I just talked about is happening in their in their mind daily, um, and we've got, yes. you know, we see scores of properties, we analyze them, we back-test them. So um, hopefully that might give some insights into um doesn't change where the market is, it just changes the approach that you do to those two things
1: getting some power back and what i'm interested in as well is obviously when you're looking for a new property particularly if you're a homeowner you've got sort of your list of priorities they're not you're not going to get a house that has everything so for us you know lifestyle decision and being in a desirable suburb is very important that means we're going to have to compromise on lot size and things like that in order to live there so I'm curious and I think it's a good conversation to have with those listening going okay but we've got 10 things that we really want I mean what are the key things you see from clients that are that we should be thinking about when we're going to sort of funnel into the home that we would be the best
2: yeah, well, it depends if it's... Um, like, I buy a lot for investing, which is different for buying for yourself, right? But yeah. um, there's a couple of things. You've got to have the top three. that you that If there's two or more people involved, those top three need to be pre-agreed prior. So what are your top three things? Because when you get into um, the house and the emotions kick in, oh, I love it, you know, that happens to us all, yeah. um, we need to be able to default that emotion back to some form of logic, right? So that's my first thing. These are our top three things. We said it must have... Um, natural light, right that's a that's a that's a deal breaker for us if it doesn't we walk in we see the floor plan's amazing we sit in the ground but it's just dark as um, we can get carried away with that so it's those those three things the other thing to think about too is um, you are going to unless unless you are blessed with unlimited budget um, which most buyers aren't um, you are going to compromise in one of four areas right and it's important to understand which of these four areas you're going to compromise on before you start the search. The first one is you're going to have to compromise on price. The second one is you compromise on location. The third one is you compromise on the size of the land. And the fourth one you compromise is the quality of dwelling. So price is self-explanatory. Location is that classic, oh, I'd love to be in South Yarra, but what if I get to go over to um, Burnley, which is just over the other side of the river at the back end of um, Richmond, I'm kind of in the same area, and you go, no, nah, no. Nah. My sister lives in South Yarra. The school I want to send the kids to is South Beach, So that's fine. So price is fixed, location is fixed. um Third one is size of the land. If you've, you've had that conversation in your own experience, do I want to go to an apartment? I currently live in a townhouse. I've currently got a courtyard. I want a house. I want a bit more land, or I might do whatever it takes. So that's the size of the land conversation. Am I going to squeeze? that land um, discussion because I'm fixed on price location in the fourth one or am I going to expand that to I need a townhouse? And the last one is quality of dwelling. So let's say I, um, my price is fixed, my location is fixed, the size of the land I want is fixed. The only thing left is, is quality of dwelling. I have to buy a renovator. I have to buy something that's yeah. tired and run down um, because if I'm not going to compromise in any of the other three areas, that's the last spot to go. And versa, oh, so you can play that matrix around. If you if you um, do not have to compromise on price, as we said, pretty much get what you want um, nine times out of 10. But I've never really come across too many 10 out of 10 properties. I usually come across a lot of eights and eight and a halves. In some cases, nine out of 10s, but never 10 out of ten. So if you have that conversation prior <laughs> uh, with the significant decision makers in the transaction, if you're on your own, bounce it off a friend, if you're with someone else buying, make sure you both rock solid on that. And then have your three deal breakers. Um, I think that's going to set you up pretty well to not burn time, energy, and effort because of, um, you've got kids in tow, you've got lots going on, you're trying to get to inspections. That one's competing with that one. The kids are hungry. I'm trying to get it
0: crossed down. <laughs> this,
1: what's going on? Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And I love that. Like for me, if I bring it back to my example, yeah, definitely. We're just going to find a fixer upper, right. And that means we'll stay in our current house for a little bit longer and we'll fix it, fix up the new one. And that's, you know, that's what we're compromising on. So it's such a, and I think it's really good the way you've just sort of laid that out quite simplistically and, and really good food for thought for people. I want to change tact in your business. You talk a lot about, um, you know, how we should be very clear on our budget, our expenditure, and that really, I mean, I even heard in your last episode, you said, "Yeah, of course, interest rates are rising. You know, we're paying, you know, twenty-seven dollar for a capsicum these days, you know, or whatever it looks like." But at the end of the day, there are things that are happening outside of our control, and you've got tools, and I'm more than happy for you to talk about those as well, which help you better manage your day-to-day expenditure and understand where your, you know, money is going. So, I would love for you to give us, you know, to appease the anxiety a little bit because I. I know there's a lot of anxiety out there with where things are going at the moment with inflation and interest rates etc and and let's get back to basics the core things that we can be doing in our households now to better manage our finances and put us in a better position to purchase that house
2: yeah i'm a pretty simple guy i need to have simple frameworks and simple formulas right and the number one thing is we have to make sure that we spend less than we earn and you might just sort of scoff at that but the, the amount of times i see clients come in who are not doing that basic fundamental. They're living on credit as if the credit is their own. And if they let that get out of control, it becomes a debt spiral that you can't get out of. So number one is make sure that you're living within your means. You are spending less than what you earn, okay? Kind of basic, but let's make sure we tick the box, number one. Um, Then number two is um, you... you, We wrote a book called Make Money Simple Again, yeah, um, and uh, I can... Anyone can go to makemoneysimpleagain.com.au and get the free copy of it, right? You can just download it. Yeah,
1: it's a great book, by the way. I have read it. So, yeah, it's excellent. Um,
2: The idea is really simple. There there is a very popular book in the marketplace and credit where credit's due. It's uh, Scott Pape and the Barefoot Investor. And most of the principles in that book are are wonderful with one exception, and and that's for us, um, there isn't a mention of an offset account. So if someone has a a mortgage, generally speaking, most of our um, our biggest expense is usually going towards the roof over our head and the mortgage. So by ignoring that fundamental fact, I think is a, is a missed opportunity, despite the fact everything else in that book is wonderful. So what we did in our book is we said, well, here's a really basic system where if you were to use your offset account and bring everything into that, so your salary, your wages, um, birthday money, lotto win, if you've got dividends, um, rent received, every single bit of inflow needs to go into your offset account that is against your most expensive debt, which is typically our home because we're the only one paying off for it. Everything goes in there. And then that becomes the central hub from which everything comes out of. All the money in, all the money out. So think about the primary account, number one. Number two, you need a simple debit card, all right? And that debit card is how you pay yourself on a weekly basis. So let's say you spend two hundred and fifty bucks a week on um, entertainment, groceries, whatever it is. It could be five hundred for some, hundred for others. But just let's just use two hundred and fifty bucks is what you spend every seven days within your family to live your your best version of that next seven days. Um, I would say consider that as when you get paid, right? So. I, my wife and I, we paid out of our offset account on a Thursday. It goes into our debit card. And then all we've got to do for the next seven days is manage that balance. We don't have to micromanage where it's gone. We don't have to put it into an app and say I spent that much on a latte and that much on a newspaper and that much on a movie and that much on a, on a piece of steak. We just say our only job for seven days is to swim between the flag and only spend what we've allocated based on a budget. Right? And if we do that, it's a successful win, and if we don't, we will go into the trap of losing our surplus. So that's number one. Number two is have a credit card. Now, a little disclaimer, if you're an average money manager or below, don't get a credit card because it'll. you don't need one. If, if that is a temptation, that is too great for you. But if you're an average money manager or better, um, you can use a credit card. And what you do with that is you get it automatically swept every month on the due date, the amount that's due. So you don't have to commit it to memory. You don't have to accidentally forget the payment. It just is automatic. Just ring the bank, go online, do whatever it takes to get that automatically paid. And then what you do with the credit card is you do not use it for discretionary spending at all. So what you do is you get your mobile phone bill, get it automatically direct debited onto your credit card, get your insurance. Whatever your bills and payments are, you put it onto the credit card. The reason you do that is because you've got 50, up to 55 days interest-free. that means that more money is sitting on your offset account. Interest is calculated daily, paid monthly, so it's reducing the balance for longer. You're actually using the bank's money for up to 55 days, and if you're disciplined, you never use that for discretionary. It's automatically swept, so you're never paying interest on it, and you're maximising and optimising the amount of money that's sitting on your offset account. And then basically what you do then is you have passive loan accounts, so um, the mortgage that comes out of the primary account I have in other investment properties, so I've got other loans. They come in and out of the primary account. That is it. That's all you do. Now, if you don't have a mortgage, instead of having a um, that primary account attached to your mortgage, you just go and get the highest interest savings account that you that you can get your hands on with the lowest fees. And that's how you can build up the deposit um, so you can get into the market. When if you have a mortgage, you have an offset account. It is super simple. We lay it out. There's even a picture in the book that you can download and set it up and and then you can just get some some peace around how to manage your money and get on with doing what you're doing because if you just focused on the seven we call it a seven-day float and if you pay on a third on a thursday and comes had a good weekend come to tuesday and you're running thin here's what most people do when they run thin on a tuesday they walk down you're at um south yarra there so you'll walk down to chapel street or um, one of the main streets then you'll go to the iga or you go to coles or you go to Macro foods or whatever. Um, <laughs> and you'll tap because Tuesday you ran out of, um, and you'll tap, it'll go on the credit card and poof, that's where it blows out. Whereas someone who's got a system that they manage, they go, Tuesday, right. I'm not getting paid again until Thursday. I've got a choice here. I've run out of money on my debit card, which is my money. It's not the bank's money. The debit card is my money. I've run out of money. I've got two choices. What I do is I trot back home and I open the pantry and I open the fridge. And I go, you know what, I can actually make a meal out of that and I can actually do that tomorrow and I can actually get myself through to Thursday because I know I get paid on Thursday. Or you can do what the most of the population do is, um, is they'll go and tap and get some more groceries. But at least you're doing it consciously.
1: Yeah, I love it. You know what, it, honestly, your book was a game changer and I did read The Barefoot Investor as well. And I think, look, to be fair, Combination of all of that. Now I do exactly that. I'm like, okay, well, if there's no money in the account, then I've spent it all. Like, you know, and then you become so much more conscious. So now and then you kind of get into a flow where it's been a while since I've had no money in that account. You know, so I don't even have a credit card. I've got a one for work, but I just don't have one. But I I just think it's so simple to just say, well, I've got a hundred dollars to spend for the week or whatever it looks like. If I go over that, then that's it. Like rather than sitting there, as you said, I had spreadsheets. I was like, oh, that's how much I'm spending at like Bar Carolina on a Friday night with my girlfriends having cocktails." Oh, better put that in a highlighted yellow. So I know not to spend that much again. <laughs> and now it's just like, well, whatever's in the account is what I've got left. Um, so I love that for everyone listening. I will pop the details of your book in the episode notes. I would love you to give us a, a very quick exec sum version of your more App potential app. I know it's online at the moment. Tell us a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, it's
2: basically um, uh, so all of the concepts in the book mean that you need to go away and you have to build a spreadsheet, and then you have to manually enter the details into the spreadsheet. So um, the more app is um, uh, we've had uh, uh, more for many many years. It's a desktop version, so it's M O R. So if you go achieve more with more is our tag. So uh, if you go to more dot com dot you can actually get access to it for free. And so what it does is it it takes the principles within the Make Money Simple Again book and makes it super simple, right? So you put your details in. The book shows you that with about 90 minutes to two hours worth of upfront work, you can then manage your money in 10 minutes a month, right? So the book shows you how to set it up and the more platform allows you to do it on a regular basis no more spreadsheets no more trying to work out how it works and then um excitingly we're recording um this in august um in uh you okay with me date stamping yeah yeah absolutely we're we're recording this in august and in uh september um hopefully we'll release the the um, mobile version because currently it's just desktop um but nobody takes their desktop with them when they're at the grocery store or anything so we understand the market is demanding. Um, the mobile app. It's been something that we've been super excited. We've been building it all year and hopefully that comes out. So thanks for the opportunity. I think there's value that we can add to your listeners because the Make Money Simple Again book is free. Uh, The mobile app um, uh, the the version that implements the book will always be free um, so that people can actually um, bring the theory and the practice together and make it real at the point of where it matters when we're when we're making transactions um, we have this statement the budgets don't work. And everyone goes, what do you mean? Of course budgets work. And it's like, well, the subline is budgets alone don't work. But here's the deal. We we all do our budget. Um, back to the point of, of the question for people who are struggling with increased costs, we always do our budget um, at the beginning of the month and at the bottom it says we've, it's in the green, we've got some surplus. Let's just say the surplus was going to be 500 bucks. What happens is we get to the end of the month And stuff got in the way, all the stuff you and I were talking about before, tap and go, blowouts, all this stuff. And we go, oh, I plan to have 500, but I've only got 20. But it's still green. It's still positive. So that was a win and move on. But we've, we've slipped. We lost the 480. And in the context of the question from your listener, we've lost that 480, which can then compound up to build up a deposit. And then that deposit allows us to get into the property market, because what I do know and what I do want to say to your audience is I've seen um, thousands, and that's not an exaggeration, but let's just keep it at a hundred. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people um, who have, through their journey, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, getting to retirement, and without, without fail, the people who don't own their own home in retirement are usually the ones that are at a significant disadvantage, because if they haven't set up their any form of um, income in those later years other than the pension and they don't have a roof over their head, that is a world of pain, right? So I cannot I cannot encourage more the idea of prioritising getting a roof over your head. Now, it used to be uh, Jack, Jack and Jill went up the hill to get a fe- fetch a of water. Now it's Jack and Jill went down the lift to fetch a baby Chino, right? our Our mm. quarter-acre block in suburbia is not... What everyone can get anymore right there is a spectrum so it might mean that families do need to buy a two-bedroom apartment and invest in that and build in the equity and slowly move up the ladder or whatever it takes some people might need to who are living in South Yarra might need to consider something like okay I love South Yarra this is not you but someone else I love South Yarra but I can only ever afford to rent here, you might need to think about, okay, why wouldn't I consider going to Geelong or Ballarat or Bendigo or something like that or further out so that you can actually get onto the property ladder? Um, because, again, looking over the horizon, when you reach an age where you no longer can trade your labour for income just because just of the, the life cycle, you will be 100% grateful um, that you've got a roof over your head at that point in time, because I've Mm -hmm. seen people you would have experienced too, Leonie, where they don't have that, Um, it is a world of pain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you bring in a good point, like rent vesting, they call it. Like, well, maybe I'll just rent, continue renting, let's say, in South Yarra, for example, if that's what they wanted to do, and then even purchase in Geelong. Uh, Is that what you're saying? Or Because, I mean, uh, to to maintain that lifestyle, I guess, would that be another option for them?
2: (laughs) Absolutely right. So some people might say, Yeah. yeah, great idea, Bryce, but I grew up in South Yarra. My friends are in South Europe. My parents are in Camberwell. I, it's just not possible for me to go to Bendigo yeah. or Ballarat. That's just a So, yes, you may consider then the option of rent vesting, um, which for those who don't understand what that means, it's I'm going to rent my current lifestyle and I'm going to invest my money, whether it's in shares, crypto, property, whatever your thing is, but you're, you're investing your money that you ordinarily would have put into a mortgage and into your own home elsewhere. And I've got no problem with that, with with one exception um, that people need to be aware of, and that's it's very difficult to change that strategy. So let's play that out. We're in South Yarra. We've got a nice uh, lifestyle going on. Um, We've bought an investment property, to your point, say down in Geelong. um, Everything's going great. Then all of a sudden um, you go from uh, one child and then you find out that you're having twins. So you go from one child to three. And then it's just not realistic for you to do that. And then some of your friends have also moved out of South Yarra and they've decided it's so all of a sudden the things that were keeping you there are no longer there some five, six, seven years down the track. If you want to pivot your strategy, it's difficult because you've put a lot of money and energy into going down that path. And then if you want to stop and pivot, as you know, buying your own home takes a lot of results. Um, for a lot of people, they're paying principal and interest. I pay interest only on, um, on a mortgage when I was uh, a mortgage on my home, um, which is a topic for another time. But, um, but a lot of people have principal and interest. So that commitment is extensive. So if you're going down this path, rent vesting, no problem, and then all of a sudden you want to pivot that and try and get it over here, it can set you back um, significantly trying to get back into the space um, because your plan for um, accumulating assets will be stopped because you will spend the next decade putting your resources into into the principal place of residence, which, rewind 10 minutes ago, it's not a bad idea because of the fact of having a roof over your head. But if you've gone down the rent-vesting strategy and your income isn't a phenomenal income, you're on an average or just better-than-average income, um, that will be something that you'll need to think about. Um,
1: Why couldn't you just sell Geelong and then buy in up? Well,
2: you could, but you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on that, so you're going to lose some of that. And then you're going to pay agent's fees. So you're going to. So um, I would, a theory, don't sell the goose that lays the golden egg, right? So because yeah. it will keep on keeping on. The, the assets that I have in my wife and my portfolio, we plan to um, pass them over to the children. So you don't. You don't want to give the tax man, um, the real estate agent, um, a big chunk of your hard work. But these are options, Leonie. These are these are options that you've got, um, which is why rent vesting is better than not not investing at all right um oh, but it's yeah. just something that you don't want to take lightly if if you go well i'll go down that path and then oh but i'll just change my mind and um buy my own home if that's what, th- there is some planning that comes around that so that's why we always recommend yeah. people get a plan on paper do these scenarios you mentioned listen to the podcast we had a winter series mm. um just recently with a guy who wanted to buy a house on the beach in adelaide um So we went through that scenario, and then he goes, well, once I tested it on paper and I ran the numbers and we did the calculations and we did all the what-if analysis, I changed my mind because it's not what I wanted. So then we decided to scale back what that looked like. They bought a different house. They're super excited, super happy, which means that they could then go and add um, another couple of um, investment properties to the portfolio. So I guess...
1: It's so true what you're saying. Like you've got to have that strategy up front because if you're moving around, I'll oh, sell this one, buy this one. Like there's so much expenditure involved in these, these moves that you're just giving money away, as you said, you know, you've really got to think about what you're doing. This is this is big money yeah, here. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, and I guess um, the the first book I wrote, which was the Armchair Guide to Property Investing, shows you once you've trapped the surplus what you can do and there's different scenarios. So, um uh, if if anyone wants to that copy that book we'll, we'll do it for free it's the dot a u if you pay for the postage i'll send you the book for free but it also that that's kind of the that's kind of the you, you know the the second book we wrote was the prequel which said we'll trap the money first and then once you've trapped yeah. it you then um put it into for, for me i've been in, i bought my first investment property in nineteen ninety nine um so we've been investing now this is my third decade which is where all the fun happens um with the uh, with the excuse me with the growth but um so i've got a clear bias around investing in property but some of your listeners may love shares or they may love crypto they may love art so my thing is um put your money into the asset that you that you like um that you're comfortable with that that appeals to you um and and then hold it for the long term because um Mm -hmm. Uh, I like saying uh, Warren Buffett is the most famous investor in the world, but he's actually not the best investor in the world. He gets um, 22% on average return each year, which is phenomenal, right? But there's a guy by the name of James Simons who um, is uh, worth a mere $21 billion compared to Warren's $119 and he's getting 66% per year returns, which is just insane. But nobody's really heard of him, and the reason being is... Um, Warren's been doing it since he was a teenager. He's been investing 99% of his wealth. is after his 50th birthday. So there's so many books written about Warren Buffett and and people are trying to work out what's his tip and what's his technique and what's his latest. But they're missing the fundamental, all-important thing, which is time. Mm. He's just played the time game more than anyone. And so um, uh, that's what I encourage. So in our business, we say to people, get your home if you can buy three investment properties, hold them for the long term, set and forget, enjoy your life along the way, plan for some really cool things, and then uh, you won't be one of those people that get to retirement with no roof over your head and, importantly, no, no form of income that's passive um, that can fund your lifestyle going along. So I get, I get yeah. the question from your listener. It's hard to get in. Yes. It's always been hard. If you go and talk to your grandparents, they'll tell you how hard it was for them. Um, to get in, so nothing's changed in terms of servicing alone. But What I will acknowledge has changed a fair bit um, since our grandparents is stumping up that deposit um, is actually actually getting harder um, to do because um, being able to to ten um, percent or twenty percent of the, the prices that that is actually a challenge. So, you know, what you and I have been chatting now for the last half an hour or so is around. Um, getting the house in order, trapping surplus, looking for ways to minimise cost. On the mall platform, you can do some analysis to go, I'm spending this much on electricity. How does that compare to my peers in this state, in this country? Or I'm spending this much on groceries. How much does that compare? So it allows you um, to get a little sharper. And one of the biggest wins you can do is if you do have a mortgage, um, you know, our our mortgage broking team is getting lots of review work from our clients where uh, we have a conversation and go, hey, look... um, it's a fact that most banks treat new customers better than they do existing ones um, because of margin creep. So, if you can actually go and look for a better deal on your loan, or actually be prepared to swap um, lenders, um, uh, that means that you might find an opportunity to get some savings as well. So that that's a big opportunity for our podcast listeners and and even yours. But um, go and speak to someone um, like. You know our, our clients are doing with our mortgage broken team because they can get sharper on rates um, and um, save that money and put it back in your pocket.
1: It all counts, right? Every last penny. You got to be smart about how you're doing things. I want to thank you so much, Bryce, for coming on today. Um, I, honest and all for all of the work that you and Ben uh, do. That your podcast probably my very first property podcast that I ever listened to and I'm not usually super loyal but I'm so loyal like we have 400 episodes in and I'm like when's the <laughs> next the next episode coming uh, out and look I love it because you just give so much away and you, you guys say this all the time you're like you know this you know why are you giving your, your book away for free like why you don't why do you, why is more available for free and I, I mean I'm sure there'll be different iterations where there might be subscriptions but certainly the f- foundation you guys are so passionate in just educating anyone who will listen, about being better investors and particularly around the property market in Australia. So I just want to thank you wholeheartedly for all that you uh, do. Thank
2: you, Leonie. I'm, I'm, I take it as a real compliment that you have hung in there and um, <laughs> uh, certainly appreciate what you're doing to help um, parents and um, all the tips and, and tricks that you're passing on through this platform. But thanks for the opportunity. Hopefully there was something in it um, for everyone and if they they want to get access to some of those resources, I'm sure you'll... Um, I'm sure you'll put them in the
1: show notes. I will. They'll be in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at parenthoodpod and join our Facebook group coming up next week on the pod to have a friendship fail for me for like Mm. such a big heartbreak failure in myself and yeah what did I do wrong and things like that so you know I think it's really acceptance around that and Mm. knowing that okay well life changes and Mm. you know you're not gonna be besties for a lifetime with everyone and that's okay yeah until next time thanks for listening. The Parenthood podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wawundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.